Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. Then um, I just have a quick uh, message that I want to uh, share with you on relationship. We're doing a, a series on relationships. And um, of course, that includes romantic relationships, marriage, dating, all of that kind of stuff. But it also includes friendships. Uh, relationships at work with your colleagues because many of the principles of relationships are exactly the same no matter what kind of relationship is whether it's a family relationship or a friendship relationship or a romantic relationship the principles are the same and I want to share one tool with you today I want to identify a problem and then share a tool that helps us solve that problem Um, if you could have one tool That'll solve most of your relationship problems. Would you, be, would you be excited about that? Would you be interested in that kind of tool? Okay. So I'm going to share that tool with you. So um, we're just going to read quickly from Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. It's a, a, a passage that we, um, yeah, that we heard quite a few times in the last couple of weeks. Um, very powerful passage, very deep passage. So I want you to just really soak it in as, as, I, as I read it. Uh, it says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing or fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue uh, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and Father we we just come to you this morning and we just thank you for your word and we pray Holy Spirit as we consider your word that you'll minister your word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yep, Paul comes and he, in typical Pauline style, he identifies the major problem that we have in relationship in just a few words, but a few very short words. Um, and and he, he mentions two things that are a problem. If you, if you can just check out um, verse... Three, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition 
and vain conceit. And he identifies those two things as the main problem that we have in our relationships. And we, and we can see he's talking about relationships because he's talking about, um, you know, considering one another or valuing one another above each other, being uh, concerned not only for your own interests but also for the interests of the others. He's talking about being in unity, having the same love, the same mind, all that kind of stuff. And then he says in verse 5, in your relationship with one another. So we can see he's talking in a relational context here. He's talking in a church context. So church is a family. So all of this applies to, to any family, whether it's a church family, whether it's the family at home. These are relational principles. And, and what he identifies are two relational problems that are at the root of most of our conflict and most of the hurt that happens in relationship. And he calls them selfish ambition and vain conceit. Okay. Now, what are they? Selfish ambition is, um, some other translations translate it as rivalry. It's, it's a form of, in a sense, looking down on others and living at the expense of others. In other words, benefiting yourself, but at the expense of others. The, the emphasis is on pushing others down, doing whatever you do at the expense of others. Okay? Um, that's, that's the one thing, pushing others down, uh, selfish ambition or rivalry. The other one is vain conceit. The word, oh, in fact, let me, let me just, uh, before I, I do that, let me just read you Philippians 2. If you can just go uh, one slide up to Philippians 1, verse 15 to 17. Philippians 1, verse, no, no, down, down. Um, the fourth slide. Um, Philippians 1, there, there we go, 15 to 17. It says, it is true that some priest Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, those who preach it out of goodwill, do so out of love, knowing that I am here in, in prison for the defense of the gospel. The former, who preach it out of envy and rivalry, preach Christ out of selfish ambition. There's the same word. Not sincerely, supposing that they might stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Can you see how out of selfish ambition. They even do the right thing. They're preaching the gospel. But because they're doing it out of selfish ambition, out of rivalry with Paul, they, they're trying to do it in order to create trouble for Paul and push him down, make trouble for him. Okay. And, and it's called, you know, it's, it's en envy and rivalry are sort of a, um, synonyms for, or, or, you know, sort of used in parallel with selfish ambition. So that's what, what selfish amb ambition is. Vain conceit. The word in the Greek um, is, is sort of a compound word, uh, which, which comes from a word that means empty, one word, kenos, which means empty, and another word, that means, doxa, that means glory. So empty glory or vain glory. Glory that is useless and empty and, and, and doesn't mean anything. And it's, it, it means when you lift yourself up. So, so where, where selfish ambition is pushing others down, Vain conceit or empty glory is lifting yourself up, trying to get glory for yourself, trying to get honor for yourself, trying to get esteem for yourself, lifting yourself up. And, and Paul says all such lifting yourself up and trying to get glory for yourself is empty glory. It's useless, pointless, vain glory. Um, and, and he says those two things, pushing others down and lifting yourself up, is at the heart of all of our relational problems. at the heart of all of our relational problems. And what those things have in common are self-interest. Me at the expense of you. 
lifting myself up at the expense of others. Um, so, the, the problem we have with this is it's so easy to do that. Um, I remember seeing a, a, a little play that, that a group of Christians did once, um, and it, it was just a skit, and, and they were... Uh, you know, the, the, in the skit, you know, kids were playing and then they were fighting about a toy and, and, and they just used one word in the whole skit. Uh, and that word was me. And the kids were fighting and they were saying, me, 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 you know, sort of fighting about the toy. Um, and and, and then, you, then they showed two, two people in a couple, a couple of uh, sort of fighting with one another and saying, me, 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 me. And then two, you know, a couple walking down the aisle, you know, to get married and singing, me, 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 me. <laughs> And it was a, such a powerful skit because it's hammered home that it's, we live in a me-first world. And, and then what happened was, that they, they, in the skit, that they, they sort of played out Jesus being nailed to the cross. And as he was being lifted on the cross, he said one word. He said, you. And it's so easy to live a me-first life in a me-first world because it, it's difficult to not do that. In fact, you have to swim against the stream, the current of our culture and society to, to live anything other than a me-first world, a me-first life in a, in a me-first world. So that, that is one of our biggest problems. And um, that causes us to look out for our own interests and not for the interests of others. I'm going to ask Rodine just to play us a quick um, video clip in a moment um, that just sort of portrays how we often come to relationships. This is specifically now a, a romantic relationship, but, but the same principle applies to all relationships with our own interests, what concerns me, and, and then sort of fighting and arguing with one another because I want what I want in the relationship or what's best for me or what I think is best for me. We approach, we tend to, in our humanness, approach our relationships with what I want out of this, what I think is best for me. And, and we, 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 we all um, do that. It's like um, I was thinking about how to portray this. I, I remember a friend of mine telling me, if you can just bring up that uh, picture of the scuba divers, um, of, you know, he, he sort of helps train people in scuba diving. <clears throat> and he says they, they do this, this test where they have like a, a bunch of guys you know, being trained and learning how to do scuba diving, and then they go down to the bottom of a pool or somewhere with, with their, their gas masks and, and, you know, their bottles and so on. Uh, so, say you have a group of, say, six or whatever, you know, people sitting around in a circle, and then one by one they'll come and they'll pull out the people's, you know, uh, snorkels and, and, and uh, pull out their, their, their air, and then they have to start sharing, you know, and then they'll pull out another one, and you have like four between six, and eventually another and another, until you have only one bottle left between six, and you have to sort of pass it around. And, and he says, the thing they're trying to fight there or teach people to fight is, is just to be calm because as soon as your self-interest kicks in and you start grabbing and fighting about the bottle, then everyone drowns. <laughs> and that's metaphorically what happens to us. We're so desperate and we're so, you know, um, how can I say, we, 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 our self-preservation kicks in. And, and, and we want to fight, and, and, and then we start fighting about, you know, I, I need this from you, I need air. And, 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 and then we all end up drowning. And, and Paul says that's 
That's the problem in our society. And how can you solve that problem? How can you deal? What's the solution to this problem? And, and what Paul presents as a solution to this problem is a mindset. Um, if you can just go back to, to verse 2, Philippians 1 verse 2, right at the beginning, it says <clears throat> in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, now the, what the NIV translates there, like-minded, literally means of the same mind. Okay? <clears throat> like mind, of, the, of the same mind. And then he says, having the same love, being one in spirit, um, literally sum, suche. Suche is, is where we get our word psyche from. In other words, your soul. Being, being together in soul or being unified in soul. Uh, and then he says, it seems repetitive, but he says, um, of one mind. Now, now you can see, you know, he talks about the mind beginning and the end, and in between he has love and, and being of one soul. So he's talking more, more, about more than just intellectual mind thinking. It's, it's not, he's not saying you must have the same opinions about everything. That's not what he's saying. Because it includes loving one another in the same way, and, and being one in soul, you know, f- f- having the same attitude and, and, and feelings about things. So, so what a better translation would be having the same mindset, having one mindset. Because we cannot have one mind. We cannot all think in the, exactly the same way about everything. We cannot all have the same opinions about everything. But we can have the same mindset, which includes your attitudes and, and your, your, your disposition uh, towards different things. And, and, and we see that in, in verse 5, actually, exactly the same word appears in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. And it, in the Greek, it's exactly the same words as in, um, in verse 2. The, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So, so he's saying here, in your relationships, here's the tool that will help you to overcome this problem of me first. And he says it's a certain mindset. And it's exactly the mindset that Jesus had. That is the tool. Okay? That is the tool. It's, a, it's basically, a, it, when he wants to portray that mindset, he st- tells a story. He tells the gospel story. And he says, um, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So not me first. In other words, he had certain rights and privileges that he could have stood on. That he could have said, I'm entitled to these. Because that's what we usually do. You know, it's, it's, uh, that me first thing is a sense of entitlement. But instead of saying me first and using it to his own advantage, he said rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant. What does a servant do? serves others. So instead of saying me first, he said you first. I'll put you first. Um, and he tells the story, which is basically the gospel story. So, so this mindset is the mindset that is encapsulated and captured in the gospel story of Jesus, who is God and who came down to come and become human and serve us in our time of need, in our, in our greatest need, um, even dying on the cross for us. So that mindset is what he says. And then he, he says that mindset causes you to live out of the opposite of the two problems, selfish ambition and vain conceit. It, it causes you to live out of the opposite of that. If you can just um, uh, open the next slide, um, go, go to the next slide. 
Um, I have a slide there where it says, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain uh, or, or rivalry. Um, but it, it starts with selfish ambition or rivalry and vain conceit or empty glory. And then he says, rather, in humility. In humility, which is the opposite of empty glory. Okay? Value others above yourself, which is the opposite of selfish ambition. So he's saying live out of the opposites of those two things. Live out of humility, which, um, in a sense, it's, it's not having a bad self-esteem, humility. And, you know, in, in the, it's interesting, in, in the Greco-Roman world of, of Paul's time, they considered, in secular culture, they considered humility not a virtue, but a vice. They considered humility a problem to be dealt with, not a, a virtue. But in the New Testament, it's seen as a virtue because they saw humility as having low self-esteem, thinking too little of yourself. But the Bible, in the words of C.S. Lewis, doesn't say that hum- humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's, it's, just, it's, it's not having a bad self-esteem. It's just not being so preoccupied with yourself and with your self-interest. It's just thinking of others more. Um, so, so, so that's in humility, value others above yourself. So in other words, not think that they're worth more than me, but value their interest. Put their, make their interests your priority instead of your own interests only. Does that make sense? So he says this is the opposite um, of of the, the, the selfish um, ambition and vain conceit. And he says, that causes you to look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And that's what Jesus did for us. He, he, had a, he portrayed in the gospel, he portrayed that mindset of, not me first, but you first. I'm going to make myself less in order to serve you. I'm going to um, think of myself less in order to serve you. Now, here's a... That's the solution. The solution is to follow Jesus' example. But there are two problems with that solution. (laughs) The first problem is that if my message is we're all too self-centered, we must follow Jesus' example and be less self-centered, go thou and do likewise, that wouldn't be a gospel message. I mean, that would be cold comfort. He starts off in verse 1 by saying, if you have any encouragement in Christ, of being united in Christ, that wouldn't be encouraging. Because who of us can follow Jesus' example perfectly in heart and in life? So if I just said, go thou and do likewise, you know? <laughs> it's like, any, that's not comforting. That's not encouraging I can't. I've tried. I always try. I don't get it right. Okay? So, and and, and so, so often, unfortunately, you know, uh, preachers in the church have preached that and thought that they're preaching the gospel. The word gospel means good news, not good advice. Good news, the gospel is good news about what Jesus did to save you and does to save you, not good advice about what you must do to save yourself. But it's so easy for us to try and preach the gospel as good advice. Follow Jesus only as example. Now, I want to say this. Jesus is never less than our example, but he's always more than our example. Okay? He's he's never only our example, 
He's always our example, but he's never only our example. And so that's the, the first problem is that if we, with that solution, is if we see it only as Jesus as our example, we get stuck because we cannot follow his example in our own strength. The second one is um, in verse 5, um, he says, no, sorry, in verse 4, verse 4 he says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There's this beautiful story in the Old Testament um, where the prophet Nathan comes to David, and David had just committed adultery with Bathsheba and basically had her husband assassinated so that he can take her as wife. And he's married her. He got a preg- pregnant, you know, committed adultery with her, got her pregnant, and then sort of schemed to have the husband eliminated so that he could marry this woman and sort of hide his adultery. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and he tells him the story. He says there's this, this rich farmer who has like many sheep and a friend comes to visit him. But he doesn't want to take one of his sheep and slaughter one of his sheep, you know, and, and make the sacrifice out of, uh, you know, out of his own, um, you know, property and, and, and so on to, to, to feed this friend. So he goes to his neighbor who has only one sheep, a little lamb that, that he raised himself in his own, own home and that he loves so much. So he takes this little lamb, slaughters this little lamb, and then f- feeds his friend who comes to visit him. Uh, and then he says, and obviously David is outraged by this, and he says, what must be done to the man who has done this? And he says, he must pay, he must be killed. And then Nathan says to him, you are that man. You are that man. You see, so often we do like David. We hear selfish ambition is a problem, pushing others down. Vain glory or or empty glory is a problem, lifting ourselves up. And you say, say, yes, you know, I can really see that. You know, the people around me really struggle with that. (laughs) It's really a problem. I'm, I'm constantly at the receiving end of their selfish ambition and vain glory. Is that true? Or is it only my family that does that? <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> and, and we like David, and we don't see that. He says in verse 4, not looking to your own interest, but each of you, each of you, looking to the interests of others. In other words, this is not a message where you must say, oh, you know, I really wish my spouse were here. Or I really wish that person, that colleague of mine was here. They need to hear this message. No, 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 no. You need to hear this message. I need to hear this message. Unless, you see, here's the thing. And this is a general problem in relationships. In relationships, a, biggest, a big part of our problem is that we don't own it. We learn the principles of Christianity, the principles of the gospel, the principles of right relationship, and then we weaponize them and try and apply them to everyone else. (laughs) We try and use them as weapons in our relationship to fix everyone around us because they're all the problem. It's never me. Amen? Or Aina? (laughs) We, We all do that. And... What I want to encourage you to do is let's take this tool and not abuse it by weaponizing it against other people, but use it on ourselves. 
Now, here's the problem. I, the first problem, the second problem I mentioned was that we tend to use it, weaponize um, the solution and, and this tool and use it against other people. The first one I mentioned is that <clears throat> we struggle to do it. Even when we know this, we struggle to do it in our own strength because the reality is we're needy. When, when you're underwater, if I can just go back to my metaphor of, of the scuba diving, when you're underwater and you don't have air, you become desperate. Your sense of self-preservation kicks in, and you just want to... It, it's, it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. You just want to fight you know, for survival and just to get air. And, and the reality is, Paul can tell us now, you know, give your air to someone else, metaphorically speaking. But, but it's a little hard to do. When you're drowning. But what we need to see is the gospel is not only Jesus as our example. It is first, before Jesus, it's, it's Jesus as our example. It's Jesus as our substitute. That's why it says he died. And he died on the cross. The most painful and shameful death. The death all of us deserve. In other words, what he says is it's only possible to overcome selfish ambition, pushing others down, and um, vain or empty glory, lifting yourself up through humility and valuing others above yourself when you have already experienced Jesus doing that for you. Only when you've experienced Jesus doing that for you. Only when you've experienced Jesus taking his eternal cosmic, you know, scuba gear and, and giving you air. Can you take yours and give it to someone else? Only when you've experienced Jesus giving his breath to you. We sang about that. It's your breath in our lungs. Only when you've experienced Jesus that I've got a, yes, I'm, I'm sitting here in a group of six. There's one bottle to be passed around, but I have an instructor named Jesus with me. I'm his disciple and he's looking out for me. So I don't have to constantly look out for myself. I can overcome, I can deny myself and my sense of self-preservation that causes me to, to grab from others and demand from others and take from others the whole time because there's one who is almighty, who is God himself, who takes care of me, who preserves me, who looks after me. Only when you really believe that, only when you've really experienced that, does it set you free to not go into self-preservation mode in your relationships. Does that make sense? So, we need to realize that Jesus, we sacrifice. We, inevitably, when you want to overcome selfish ambition, pushing others down and vainglory, lifting yourself up, um, when you want to live out of, instead, humility and valuing others above yourself, it costs you something. It's a sacrifice. But what we need to realize is that Jesus has already sacrificed far more for us. Yes, when you want to value others above yourself, it doesn't mean that they're worth more than you, but it just means that you take up a position that is lower in order that you can serve them. But you do it because Jesus has, who is higher than you, has already taken up a lower position in order to serve you on the cross. And, and how far he has descended was much further than you'll ever have to descend to serve anyone else. He came from heaven. If I can just 
extend my metaphor, you know, a bit, a bit further. Um, living here on earth is like living underwater. Eventually your air will run out and you will die. Who knows the mortality rate is still 100%. <laughs> yes, it takes a lifetime for you to die, but you will die. But in heaven, there's eternal life. Why? Because there's, metaphorically speaking, there's the kind of breath we need. It's, it's, it's like not living underwater, but living above water. And Jesus came from above water in heaven, and he came down to the deepest waters to come and give his breath to you, to come and share his breath with you so that he can take you up into heaven again. That is what he's done for you. And when you realize he's done that for you, but I'm, I, I, I mean not just in your head, but in your heart, really realize he's done that for you, believe he's done that for you, it nullifies your sense of self-preservation and fighting for your and entitlement and fighting for your rights. And it enables you to lay those down in order to serve others as Jesus has served you. Um, not only that, but it talks about if you have not, not only any encouragement of being united with Christ, but if you have um, the comfort of love, and, and, and it, in the NIV it says his love, uh, the his isn't actually there. It, it, uh, what, I think what he's talking about is you know, encouragement with being united to Christ and then the love of the Father. So if you have a, a Father in heaven who cares about you and who loves you perfectly, the word they used is agape. We don't have really a... a you know, equivalent English word, but it's perfect, divine love, unconditional love. When, when you have, you know you have a father in Christ, you have a father who loves you unconditionally. And then he says, any koinonia of the Spirit, any fellowship in the Spirit, when the Spirit is, the, the word pneuma in the Greek, it can mean spirit, or it can also mean breath. The Spirit is the breath of Jesus that is given to us so that we can breathe freely. And when you have that, it gives you the security to let go of your entitlement, to humble yourself, to consider others' needs more important than priority above yours and to serve other people. And just imagine what kind of a community we'd be if we all did what Jesus has done for us. Instead of trying to get other, everyone else to do what Jesus did for us, <laughs> We say, okay, I'm going to do it for myself. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to apply this to myself. Just think what kind of a uh, community would be. And then it's interesting what it results in. It says in verse 9, Philippians 2 verse 9, it says, Therefore, because Jesus did this, because he humbled himself and served others, considering others' needs more important than his own, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name. And then it says that every knee will bow to the glory of God the Father. This is the kind of true glory that God actually wants us to live for. Not vain glory, not empty glory that we ascribe to ourselves and that we steal and, and, and take for ourselves, but true lasting. And it's empty glory because it won't last. Any glory you get for yourself won't last. But this glory that God gave to Jesus and that in Christ God wants to give to us will be lasting glory. And it's the glory that comes from us following Christ's example humbling ourselves and serving others. And, and Jesus says this all over the place. The Old New Testament is full of it. Whoever exalts himself, himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted by God. And whatever glory God gives you will be lasting glory. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.
I just want to read you one more scripture as you stand in Philippians 2, verse 19 to 21, where it, it, it uses T- Timothy as an example of this. It says, I hope, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy t- uh, to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks not to their own, so, so for everyone else, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ. Notice what he says here. He does something surprising in that last verse. He doesn't say everyone looks out uh, for their own interests, not for the interests of others, because that's what he's been talking and how he's been phrasing it th- um, throughout the whole passage. But instead of saying look, they, look, uh, they don't look out for the interests of others, they say, he says they don't look out for the interests of Christ, Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying there is by looking out for the interests of others in your family and in the church, you are actually looking out for the interests of Christ because Christ is concerned with the people that you are looking out for. You are, you are being his hands and his feet. And he will empower you as his hands and his feet when you look out for others. He will empower you. He will work through you. It won't just be you doing it. It'll be Jesus doing it in you and through you to others. And it'll be as though you, you are concerned with the things of Christ. Yes, Lord. We just come to you this morning and we just pour out our praise to you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your breath in our lungs. Thank you that you give us ultimately what we need. So we don't have to fight it away from one another or fight to get it from one another. Thank you that you came to live a life that is so against the stream, so countercultural, so different from every other life that has ever been lived, so that our lives could also be changed to become like your life. Please help us with that, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you that you live inside of us and that you enable us by your grace and by your power to do for one another what Christ did for us. Help us, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are with us. If, Lord, we are in Christ. If we are born again, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us wherever we go. That you are with us not only here, uh, Lord, during the church service, Lord, or at small group, Lord, but that you are with us at home as families. That you are with us at work as colleagues. That you are with us, Lord, wherever we are as friends, Lord God. And that you enable us to live the gospel, to love the people, and to obey the Spirit everywhere we go. Lord, I just want to pray that over every person here in Jesus' name, that you will, through your word and through your Spirit, inspire every one of us to go and live for you and like you everywhere we go in Jesus' name. And I just pray your blessing over your saints in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that your supernatural blessing, Lord, will not only rest upon every life here, but overflow from every life here into the lives of the people around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.